months ago, uh, my oldest daughter, Mary, and I went on a mother-daughter trip. Uh, we've tried to do that with each one of our adult children uh, to take a, either a mother-daughter trip or a daddy-daughter trip, uh, you know, so they have that time with us. But Mary wanted to go to Kenya on her mother-daughter trip. Now, to give you a little bit of a backstory, uh, when Mary was right out of college, she spent a year on the mission field, and uh, Kenya was one of the places that she had served. And so she had actually lived for a month in Katali, uh, Kenya, and she wanted to go back to the place where the city or the town where she had lived for a month and served. And then also another reason was that one of her teammates, when she had gone on her mission trip, had gone back to serve with an orphanage there in Katali. And so that's what she wanted to do for her mother-daughter trip. So it was kind of a unique situation. Um, I know that many of you have been on mission trips uh, overseas or you know of people that have. And so when you go, there's a particular mindset. But we weren't really going to be missionaries. Uh, we were going to go visit her friend. And she had a couple of friends in that area and just do life with them there in the orphanage. And while I was there uh, that week, about 10 days, uh, everything felt so foreign. Everything felt uh, so unfamiliar. So let me kind of describe what it was like. So we were staying in what was called a guest house, which was really a, several little small little buildings uh, with like the metal uh, cots to sleep on, that kind of thing. Uh, there, it was really a compound is what it was. There was a wall around the compound. Uh, there was a, a armed guard at the gate. Um, there was barbed wire around uh, the the fence, there were shards of glass. Um, and then what a, a group of the guests that were there with us at this guest house, um, they were these big burly men, and they were all carrying, I don't know the names of guns, but let me just say they were big ones. They were big. And I was like, are they military? Or are they, and I remember asking someone, and they go, no, 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 don't talk to those guys. Don't talk to those guys. <laughs> They're like armed guards for somebody, some company doing construction. So, but everything, there's Swahili, uh, so I don't speak the language, the food is different. I remember we walked everywhere that we went unless we hired a driver so most of the time we were walking and I remember we were walking from the guest house to the orphanage and so you're going down this dirt road and, and then all of a sudden there's just a pack of monkeys just you know just like a pack of monkeys you know the kind you go to the zoo to see and I and so you know I looked at Rebecca the the woman that we were visiting and I was like oh, there's monkeys she goes oh they drive us crazy they're annoying they'll steal stuff from you so all that to say I mean it was just everything was so like not middle Georgia make a Georgia Georgia in 2021, the way we live today. But anyway, so one of the days, uh, Rebecca invited us. She said, so hey, so, uh, myself and another one of the ladies here that work in the orphanage, uh, we are a part of a Bible study. Uh, it's a group of ladies, they're widows, and they live in a neighboring village, which I like to go with us. So we said, sure, uh, we would love to. So we jumped in the Range Rover, and so we're driving along, and, and suddenly the, the road becomes narrower and narrower. Um, I'm probably giving you way too many details, but I just want to kind of paint the picture um, and then all of a sudden it's muddy and there's these ruts and there's like you know the drop off and, and the person who's driving we get a little stuck and, and she's like no 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 it's okay so she I mean she shoves it in I'm like ooh girl you can drive but anyway so you know she gets us out of whatever that little rut ditch was and then finally we get to the place in the road where the road ends have y'all ever heard somebody say well that's just the end of the road 
we really were at the end of the road. Like the road, the brush became so thick that we could not go any further. So I'm like, oh, we've taken a bad wrong turn. Didn't, didn't phase the ladies that we were with. They said, okay, now we walk. So I was like, okay, glad I wore my Tevas. So we jump out of the Land Rover and then we walk down this trail, I don't know, maybe a mile or so. And then all of a sudden, the kind of this, this brush kind of just opens up and there's a space maybe three times the size of this room maybe where um, there's just this little village and um, and there are these houses made out of mud walls and tin roofs and, and if you will the, I've got a picture here of what one of the houses looks like if they can bring that up so yeah here we are this is what we found in the opening um, and these are the these are the widows uh, the ladies that we were going to have Bible study with and they lived in this little village there was like a cow just kind of roaming around there were some chickens you know very foreign. Can I just say very foreign? I felt, I mean, I look very out of my element. All right. So then, so we go into this house right here, all of us, and here we are, uh, and we had Bible study. Now, in this moment, I'll kind of just want to set it up for you. Um, so the ladies all speak Swahili. Uh, there is an interpreter, and so when they, we did the, you know, the teaching part of the Bible study, there was an interpreter. But for most of our time together, there was no interpreter because we were their guests in their home. And so here we were. You know, you kind of 15 of us uh, crammed up in this little house. But y'all, it was the most precious experience. It was so precious because even though I did not understand the language, I knew the rhythms of the church being the church. They, uh, there was a devotion around the scripture. Uh, they had a time when they shared prayer requests. I had no idea what the individual requests were, but one woman would share, and then we would pray. Another woman would share, and we would pray. Uh, they took up an offering. I mean, nobody has to tell you what is happening, you know, when the plate gets passed. These women who had so little were taking up an offering to help others. And then we began to sing. And the song that we started with was, How Precious is the Blood of Jesus. Do y'all know that song? Uh, how, I'm not going to sing it for you, but no, you know, How Precious is the Blood of Jesus. No other fount I know. Um, how Precious is the Blood of Jesus. And in that, now they're singing in Swahili. I know this song, and I start singing in English. In that moment, I have never felt as much at home as I did in that space. Because there are a hundred and hundreds of memories that are built and woven into my DNA. From being in Thaxton Baptist Church in, in rural Mississippi, sitting with my grandparents in a farming community and singing that exact same song. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. From being in a, in a dorm room uh, with some other women, as I'm in college, and somebody's strumming a guitar and us sitting around sharing scripture, praying for one another, all the way to what I was currently involved in in, my, in the church where I was serving and, and being with my community group. And I think what struck me was how the world felt so different where I was. It felt so different. But in that space, I was in God's house. I was in God's home. I was with the people of God, and we were that one community. 
We are launching a new sermon series uh, this month, and it's really kind of wrapped around, I think, that idea of, of community and connection and that, that unity that we're called to as the church. And the title of this sermon series is You Belong. You Belong, because those ladies, they made me feel like I belonged. I wasn't going there to be their missionary. I was invited to be a part of their community. And what we're asking is this question, is what does it mean to be God's home? What does it mean for the church to be the place where God dwells? And we're going to be camping out in the book of Ephesians over the next several weeks, so I might want to invite you to, to uh, read that on your own. But particularly, we are looking at a verse that we kind of feel like kind of captures this sermon series, and it's from the Message Translations, and it Message Translation, which is a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson from Ephesians 2, 19. Listen to these words. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith, it is now your home country. I was in Kenya, not the United States. I was in a completely different country. But in their home, in that Bible study, I felt like I was, I was with my people. He says, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer outsiders. You belong here. You, 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 me, you belong here. With as much right to name Christian as anyone, and God is building a home. And he is using all of us, irrespective of how we got here, into what he is building. So in this, in this sermon series, this is kind of what we're going to be unpacking and drilling down on kind of what does it mean to be God's home. I think the tension that I experience, and maybe you do as well, is that when we think about the world and the culture in which we live and we find ourselves, is that we know, we know it is deeply fragmented. Um, it is deeply divided. Um, we are divided around our, pol our politics, our party, uh, our religion, uh, even within our own denomination. Uh, there are, there's fragmentation, there's, there's divisiveness. Uh, our theology has become a means of our division, our hostility. And, and what this has the, the potential to do, the tension, if we're not careful, is it builds up dividing walls. It builds up where there's this camp and there's that camp and we think we're right and the other one's wrong, but it keeps these walls that separate us, that really keep us from living into, I think, what this passage is all about. And in the meantime, this collective home, this culture, this air we breathe, if we're not careful, our shared experience, this space, it is pulling us away from one another rather than pulling us toward one another, which is unlike what I experienced in Kenya. And so I think that the challenge for us as, as a community of faith, and that's what we're kind of going to be exploring here, is to be careful lest we, within the church, within our own body, within the larger church, I think the tension and what we have to be aware of and cognizant of is that we as a people don't become a reflection of our culture, a reflection of our culture where we are, you know, kind of joining in the fray and helping fuel all the anger and the, and the animosity and, and all that. But instead, what Christ would call us to is to be not a, ref a reflection of the culture, but an alternative to 
the culture, an alternative to the culture. And so, as we are looking at the book of Ephesians, this is a, is a book that is ancient. Uh, it was a book that, um, you know, maybe 2,000 years ago, uh, you know, some, sometime after the death of Christ, uh, you know, they, they was writing to a community there in the city of Ephesus, um, and it feels so important and so real to us. So, so it speaks to what we're going through in our world today. Just to tell you a little bit about Ephesus, um, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey now, um, but it was a port city. And so with that, it was a town, it was a city where it was a cosmopolitan city, it was a bustling city, it was an area of diverse religions, uh, of commerce. We know that Paul had spent from the book of Acts, we know that he spent around two years there uh, birthing a church. And, and while we don't know the details, I want you to just stop for a moment and just think about who might have been a part of this church there in Ephesus that Paul is writing this letter to? Um, there would have been Romans who came from up and down uh, the, whole, the whole social scale there. Um, there could have been slaves sitting next to in a house church, um, a household master. Uh, there would have been husbands and wives, men and women, with very different, different um, social, um, you know, uh, divide, there were divisions. I guess, of, you know, how, how people were ranked in that society. Greeks, Macedonians, Jews, Jews, merchants, carpenters, soldiers, orphans, widows, just the whole mix of who would have been living in a Roman colony at the time. Outside of the Jesus community, they would have had nothing in common. But yet, sitting elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder, side by side, what drew them together was their common love and belief in Jesus. The women and I in that, um, in, in Katali, in that village, we had almost nothing in common, but we had everything in common. And so, Paul could write to this diverse group of people. He's writing that, you know, the same words are true for us today. And he says, what I want you to do, Ephesians, I, I see the diversity of your culture. I see the city in which you live. I see all of that. But here is what I want to ask you to remember to do. I want you to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there is one Lord, one body, one Spirit, one faith, one baptism. And what Paul knew, the potential of the church, the potential of the church was this, not to reflect the culture of Rome, but to be an alternative to it, to be uh, the, to, to represent, to, to model, to share, to embody who Christ would have them be in that pagan culture so many years ago, just as he calls us to that same thing today. Well, I'm going to take just a few minutes, and we're going to look at Ephesians 2, 14 through 19, and I'm just going to lift up a couple of things as we kind of are launching this study. I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. The scriptures say, Paul writes, and he's, because we're going to kind of unpack this. We're going to get some, kind of get some context here. Paul writes, and he says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. Christ himself has brought peace to us. Just to kind of unpack a little bit what he's saying there. there there's two, two aspects to this peace that Paul is talking about. The first is that vertical peace, the peace that we have with God because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, that our sins are forgiven, uh, that we are washed clean, that we have been adopted into his family. So there is that peace that we have with God. 
But there is also a piece, and this is really what Paul is drilling down in this section. He's really drilling down on the gift of peace that God, through Christ Jesus, has given us within the community of faith, within the church. And this is what he says. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, he united the Jews and the Gentiles into one people. Now, as we think about this, the historical context is there was, there was uh, the division, and, and we won't go into all the Old Testament you know, laws and the Mosaic law. This is kind of what he was speaking to, but he's saying he's, he's kind of taken that all away. Um, he's you know, taken away this wall, and now y'all are one people. And, and he says that in his own body on the cross, this is so powerful. He broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. Think about that right now. Where are there walls of hostility that are separating us today? Where are the walls of hostility in our culture and in our society that have made their way into the church? And it is tempting us. It is, it is this tension that we are, you know, so tempted to pull away into our fragmented segments and our, and our different groups. Think about if you were in that first century church and this letter is being read and you're a slave and there's a master, you're a Roman and there's someone Jew and, and all the things. Y'all, there was hostility built into that culture just like there is hostility built into our culture today. But Paul is saying, look to Jesus because he is the one who has taken away and broken down and demolished that which would separate us. Verse 15, he did this by ending the system of the law and its commandments and his regulations, and he's talking about the Mosaic law there, and he made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles, and he created for himself one new people from the two groups. And then, this is so powerful, he says, together, hear all this unity language, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward other, toward, toward each other, was put to death. Where do you have hostility towards another? Where have you experienced hostility toward another? When I read this verse, it reminded me of uh, just a, a situation years ago. I was working at another church, and I was the children's minister there, and um, I had just had a run-in with one of my coworkers, and uh, they, I, I was trying to remember. I thought, what did we get upset with each other about? I can't remember, but I, I did remember this morning. It was over T-shirts. So let's just talk about life-shattering, you know, the really big deal, but it was, it was over T-shirts, and I won't go into all the details because I was right and she was wrong, and we all know that. So, and anyway, but so we, at that time we had Saturday night church, and then we had three services on Sunday, but all day Saturday, have y'all ever done this? This, this is my, this is my MO, so y'all just, I'm going to have to just be honest here. So all day long, I had been like rehearsing 
the, the, the whole situation over my head. Do I have any takers out there? Anybody else? Y'all, y'all, okay, I see some hands back there. But anyway, I mean, I can't believe she said that. And she didn't, I mean, just in my head. And I'm going to tell her. Of course, I was never going to tell her. But anyway, but I'm just ruminating on this all day long. This is my Saturday. So then I start, you know, transitioning, and it's time to get ready to start making my way to go to church. And all of a sudden, y'all, this is not something that happens to me often, and I I don't like it when this happens, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, I kid you not, it was like, spoke to me, it was so clear, and this is what I felt the Lord said to me, Fran, I need you two girls to get it together, because tonight, I am bringing you the bruised and the broken and the lost, and I need you to care for my children. And in that moment, I said, yes, sir, I am sorry, and please forgive me. I repent. To repent, it means to change your mind. It means to change uh, the way that you're walking, your course that you're on. And I repented deeply, and I said, yes, sir. And so with that, my, my headspace changed. Uh, I began to worship. I began to get my head in the game to go to what I thought was going to be a routine Saturday night service. In the middle of the service, I'm over in the elementary area because I just kind of would bounce from the different areas and the, tr- the different ages. And uh, one of our, our staff members came to me and said, friend, we need you over in the preschool wing. Um, we need you to look at a child. I go over, and this was the first time this had ever happened to me, where um, they, they, there was one of the children, um, one of the families that had been coming, and this child had, had s- scratches and bite marks and bruises and cuts, and they said, we think this kid, you know, is being abused. I was sick at my stomach. I was sick at my stomach. And, we, you know, we had to follow the proper protocols. And some of you may or may not know this, but the church is considered to be a mandated reporter. So if, you're, if you suspect neglect or abuse, um, then you have a responsibility, a legal responsibility to call defects, which we did. And this was kind of the beginning of a whole process. It was not the first time that we had to alert defects. Um, This story has a good ending. Um, I think there was some support and some services that were able to come alongside this family. They stayed engaged in the church, and we really began to see um, a better living environment for the children in that home. But in that moment, when I was standing there looking at that child, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, this is what I want you to do to care for my children. I mean, it was a smack in the face, but it was Jesus, it was Jesus who put to death that hostility that I was feeling toward my coworker. He goes down in verse 19, and this is the same verse that we read earlier, uh, a little bit of a different twist on it from the New Living Translation, and he says, so now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people, and you're members of God's family. All of you, we're members, and together, we're his house, and we're built on this foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We're careful joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And through him, you Gentiles are also being made a part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. I don't know about y'all, but I want to be a house where God's spirit 
dwells, where the walls of hostility are broken down. And we have unity, not because we agree and we see everything the same way, but because of our love and our commitment to Christ and because we know what he has called us to do in the world today. The church, it is a community of people who are gathering around not a religious idea, not a philosophy of life, not a certain practice or anything like that, but we gather around a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified, he was buried, he rose from the dead. We worship him, we gather around him. We believe that he's real, we believe that he's alive. I heard it described like this, that when we gather, as a, as a community of faith, we gather together in this space for those who are watching online, those that will call themselves a part of this home. We are looking towards him, Jesus, at the center. And we believe he's real, and we believe that he is looking back at us and that he is guiding us as a community. He is guiding us as a community. You know, I have the great privilege <clears throat> of kind of seeing the best of Martha Bowman. Every single day, I get to see you at your best. You know, just this week, uh, Mark and I were with a family, um, Sid Freeman, um, y'all may or may not know Sid, he's one of the patriarchs here at Martha Bowman, but he passed away this week. And as we were gathering with the family to talk about the eulogy and the order of the service that'll be this afternoon at three o'clock, while I was there, the doorbell rang, and you know what it was? It was Pete McKinney coming over and bringing them something, some food, something for supper. You so then we talked a little bit long later, and you know what happened? The doorbell rang again, someone else from their Sunday school class, and I thought, this is the church in action. This is when we're at our best. This is when we're living into uh, being God's home the way he would call us to. Uh, today, I invite you to pray for Mark. Um, some of you may know this, but uh, he is he's probably already on the road right now up to Atlanta. Uh, he is going to be flying. He and Max Wood are flying to Jordan. Uh, they'll also be in Iraq working uh, with a ministry over there uh, that is caring for Iraqi Christians um, who were displaced uh, when ISIS invaded Iraq. And so providing, you know, and, and so some of what they're doing is there to uh, supply uh, financial help, uh, to help them with some micro businesses, uh, to be a community of support. But they're really just there to be with their brothers and sisters, to encourage them to be a part of the church. I wonder when Mark is with, uh, you know, these other Christians speaking different language, you know, speak a different language. I believe that he'll feel just as home, at home as I did. Um, in, that, in that mud house uh, in Katali, Kenya. This is what it looks like to reflect Jesus back to the world, not to reflect our culture back to the world. When we find ourselves building these walls, I pray that you too will look to Jesus and that you will let him destroy any hostility that you have towards another, that we might be the body of Christ for the world today. We're going to be digging deeper into Paul's letter and kind of what this looks like, uh, working on some of the practical stuff, and we're going to roll up our sleeves and kind of dig down into some of his, his you know, the conversation that he has with his church. But for our takeaway today, I want you to ask you this question. Are you reflecting the culture, or are you reflecting Jesus? 
And I think that one of the ways that I want to just encourage you to do this is that um, in your bulletins there, uh, you will see there's an insert uh, for the Methodist Children's Home. This is what is called their work day. This is an a day that is an annual day in their, in their you know, the life of their ch the, the organization where they um, invite churches to be a part of what they're doing. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Methodist Children's Home, it's an agency here, uh, multiple locations throughout the state. We have a, a location here in Macon, uh, but it's a home for foster care kids, for kids who are in the foster care system. God's home, the place where they can find safety, the place where they can find unconditional love, and where the church can be the church today. Let's